So thank you, Kate, for sharing all those things. So yeah, if one of those people offended you, they cut you off in the parking lot, they gave you the bird or something, right, and uh, you need to go to them, do it. We don't expect that, but we think it's a beautiful process, and they would, they would like that, right, because they, um, they are not um, perfect, right, but they're the people who are reflecting Jesus. So we're in the, we're in the series called Invited to Reach, where um, over this year, we're continuing to encourage us to pray impossible prayers, um, and when you begin to pray impossible prayers, uh, there's, um, there's some weight to that. And some of that weight is some of those po- impossible prayers start to see traction and getting answered. Some of them fully get answered, and other ones of them actually go the opposite way and tank. And their longing or the prayer doesn't get resolved. It's actually the worst nightmare. And... Um, there's a tendency to not talk about that tension. There's a tendency to only celebrate the impossible things that are happening and God's goodness, but not to embrace it when it doesn't. And so those who are experiencing the opposite um, feel, may, might feel silenced or even pushed out of the community of God because of the realities that they're experiencing, the hardship that they're experiencing. And so we, we want to we tell the truth about the reality. And we we want to we even share it in a narrative of Scripture that we think is responsible and lines up with the Word of God. For us to pray the impossible prayers, to ask God to do the impossible, but yet holding on that we have no guarantee. We don't know if these impossible prayers are going to get met, but yet we feel encouraged to do so. And so that's what we're talking about in more detail today. The, the now and the not yet. And so let me pray. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God who meets us, would you come and dwell among us today? As we talk about real things that matter, not religious things, things that matter in this world of everyday living. And so God, come and dwell among us. Animate our bodies that we could live. Move us, God, as you move. We pray in your name. Amen. So today, um, the core idea of today is this. That we want to hold God's promised future, this promised future that there's going to be no more tears shed, that all pain, all suffering is going to be put to end. That's Revelation 21. Where God says, hey, this is going to be done. This is a promised future where everything in creation is made new. Right? That is not happening. Dan is kind of saying, oh goodness, just yesterday someone thinking that this synagogue was a dangerous place and goes in there to kill these people because somehow this is, this is an issue, right? That, that is not every tear being wiped away and every pain. That is lies and destruction happening. And if you listen to the news, you just see it everywhere. You see the whole thousands of, of migrant workers from Central America fleeing violence and poverty on a long journey to find something with their kids on foot. And, and yet we, we know, we wonder, what, what is the hope for them? We know in Nigeria, the number of kids that um, their daily life is to beg for food. That's the reality that they live in. And yet we can say, okay, this promised future is, doesn't seem to be now. But yet today, we are holding on to God's promised future and present realities in both hands. And this is messy. And so as we look at the long history of Jesus followers, they were not only winners, 
by the world standards, but some would consider losers as well. And so we want to figure out if we can embrace that tension, and what do we do with it? So a, a really great text, Acts 12. You can miss it so quickly if you don't actually pay attention to the first line. Acts 12 says this. And it was about the time, this is like uh, 44 AD. It's like maybe anywhere from 11 to 14 years after Jesus has been crucified. So Jesus has been crucified. The church is being formed. It's mostly in, uh, you know, right there in the Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. It's being spread out and it's going to other places uh, there. But at this time, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, and that doesn't mean all the Jews, that's just a group of people who were leading and leaders at that time who saw the way of Jesus as in opposition to what they were doing. As he, as he saw this found approval with some, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread, which is Passover. After arresting him, he put him in prison, that's Peter, handing him, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for a public trial after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entry, at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The story goes on, it fell off his wrist and he led them through the guards and the gate opened up before him and he walked outside and Peter the whole time is thinking he's having a vision. All of a sudden he gets out and he's clothed and he's like, oh my gosh, I've been set free. So he goes to where he knows the church is there in, in Jerusalem and, and they're praying and he goes to the door and he knocks on it and one of the girls who served the home comes to the door and she hears Peter's voice and she's such in shock, she runs to the community who's in there praying and she's like, Oh my gosh, it's Peter. He's at the door. And they're like, no, it's not. You're just hearing his spirit. Right? It's not him. But eventually, I guess the knocking continues to happen, and they let him in. And they celebrate his release, and then he goes on to a more secure place. Okay, so we could have we missed this, just what happened here. So let me illustrate it for you real quickly. Um, John, would you help me out? So John, stand up here. On this side, please. John is going to be James. Right? And, um, and not to be confusing, um, well, how are, Brenda, can you help me? You're going to be St. Peter. And St. James, right? So you can stand on this side. This is your side. This is your side. Um, when you know the disciples of Jesus, both of these were disciples of Jesus, and not only disciples of Jesus, but Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three that he gave even greater access than all the others. They were John, James, and Peter. They joined him when he ascended the mountain in order to pray through the night, and Jesus was transformed before their eyes in a cloud of light. It's called the transfiguration. They witnessed everything that Jesus did, and if there was ever a more intimate moment, these three, well, these two, experienced it. He was one of the inner three, as well as Peter. And so here's James. Herod grabs him and throws him in prison. Now, the text doesn't say it, but I'm, I'm sure the church 
was praying for James. And this side of the room, you are James's prayer team. Welcome. And here's St. Peter, right? And you are St. Peter's prayer team. And so here's James, and here's Herod. He's in prison. Um, and this team, you guys are praying. And you're praying, and you're praying. And what happens? You know what? Um, let's behead James. And he is. He's beheaded. Just like that. At the whim of Herod, he's like, oh, somebody seemed to like it? Oh, let me do more of this. And here's Peter. And you guys are praying. And all of a sudden, the night before he's supposed to come on trial, he's released. Now, let me just propose a few things or ask a few questions. Did James have some hidden sin that we didn't know about? Maybe it was James. You know what? Could it have been James' fault that he died? Could he do something wrong? Was it that his life just wasn't good? He just wasn't needed anymore? He crossed an imaginary line he wasn't supposed to? Could that have happened? Did, was Peter better than James? Was he more holy? And God was like, you know what? I don't really need James anymore, and I got more, more bigger plans for Peter, so let's just go ahead and, and move on this. No, that's, that, that has nothing to do with this. It's nothing to do with one person being better or less or more holy or more powerful or more intricate or that. The whole, the whole mystery of it is we don't know. Why? I, I don't know. It doesn't say. Okay, so it's not, it wasn't, it has nothing to do, maybe it has to do with their prayer team. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't say. Guys, how hard did you pray for James? John, were you on your knees? I mean, did you pray all night? Maybe you weren't earnest enough. Because in the text, it does say they were earnest. So maybe, you know what? Maybe you didn't say in Jesus' name after you prayed it. Right? I mean, it has nothing to do with the quantity or the quality of this prayer team. In the same way, even though we are invited to pray, and to call out. But it, it, so, I mean, so this is the loser prayer team and this is the winning prayer team. So next time if something happens and I go to prison, I'm not going to ask this prayer team to pray for me. These guys are. We are not men at all in order to think that way. To rationalize that way or to see it. Because it could view as some are the winners and some are the losers. This is the tension of the now and the not yet. Thank you. There is no answer for it. The now, a few weeks ago, we said the now is that sometimes God is breaking in where, where heaven is kissing earth. And everything that God desires to see happen, happens just like we see Peter being released from prison, who is held. John was just sharing with me that he went to India and we prayed for him. And he told me the story of 12 women who were freed from prostitution and 22 kids who were released from that. That is the, that is the now, Right? And the thing that rips our heart and soul out is the not yet for the thousands of women and young girls and boys who are still enslaved in poverty and prostitution around the world. That's the not yet. Right? And it's that tension that we hold into this. And that's the tension we see in this first text in Acts. And we can almost miss it. That shows that now and the not yet, James is beheaded. 
Peter's set free. And the church begins to wrestle. I, have you ever found yourself a part of a loser prayer team? So called, right? So called. Uh, I, I, can, I can remember, it was rightly after I was affirmed as the, like in the more you know, senior pastor role at Genesis, and we began, we were praying for a friend, Nate Trask. I mean, many of you know Nate, and we're part of those times. He was 34 years old. He had a set of twins at home. Um, I think they were at the time were like four years old, a boy and a girl, and he got melanoma at 33, healthy, you know, um, stage four, right? And we, we gathered in his home regularly and reached. We asked God to heal him. And I, and I tell you what, I mean, I, mean I, I, I can't even remember. We prayed fervently. Prayed fervently for him. We're asking, right? Reaching. And, and, there was, and there was some, there was some part of me even in it. And it's like, I was even like thinking as it's going along, it's like, God, we're doing this right. God, we're, we're doing it right. We're praying right. We're asking it right, you know. Um, and he dies. He dies. I can remember the day. And I can remember, even any of the other guys remember, you know? We knew it was coming, right? You knew it was coming. He had deteriorated, you know what I mean? He was skin and bones. And, and we sat with him, right, as a community. We're by his side. Knew it was coming. And I can remember when it finally came. And I can remember him walking not having a space, you know, wanting a space to be able to mourn. And I remember stepping into this room alone on a Saturday night. I think I laid right here and just cried, right? Just cried. And yet there's this weird stuff in my head. It was like, it wasn't supposed to be that way. We really asked a lot, right? It's a, but it, it's not about that. To be out kind of, and you feel like you're the, you're the loser prayer team. That somehow you didn't do something right. And that can hinder us from moving forward. We have to embrace this tension. There is no formula. And so when we're pray, praying for the impossible and asking God to do the impossible, we're not coming for you saying, hey, we've got, I've got this formula that if you pray for this thing so many times, this way and that way, and you say these things with it, that you're guaranteed. There's no formula. God doesn't work that way. He loves us and he invites us to reach. Yet we live in this tension. Of sometimes we'll pray and, and boom, it'll come crushing in and we'll experience the now of God's kingdom. What, what will happen in the future will taste right now. And other times we'll step in and it'll be the not yet. And I don't have an answer for it. And there'll be other times when I'm praying for somebody that I don't even care about, that I don't even know, and I pray one time, right? And they're like, hey, would you pray for my friend? And you pray one time, and you're like, oh, God, heal them, right? And come, come to their aid, you know? And, and it's met with compassion and stuff, and God answers. That's the tension of where we are. But yet we're invited, and so what do we do in this tension the now is that we believe that God's kingdom can invade any moment of our lives. That's why we pray. It can invade any moment. God's deliverance, his salvation, his inbreaking power to set free. But we also hold this tension that not yet. While the kingdom of God was breaking into the world through Jesus, all human suffering, pain, and difficulty did not disappear. This is the tension.
There's another text that paints this out that gives us maybe some insight and some hope about what to do in this tension, about how to respond. This is Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is this beautiful chapter where it's talking about these people of faith, right? And I'm going to pick it up sort of midstream here in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 32. And it says this, uh, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery, the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. So that, I, I'm going to stop there. That list is the now. And we would call that list the winners. Right? And we say, ooh, I want to be that. Right? I want, I want to experience that. Now again, here's how it first started. What, um, oh, so here, you know, let me go on. That's the now. That's God's inbreaking. Where we see, see God's inbreaking rule. But the list goes on. There were others who were tortured Refused to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. That was Stephen. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. That was James. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This whole list is one that just helps us to hold this tension because in this narrative is what this, by the world standard is winners and losers, but yet all of them are commended for their faith. All of them are encouraged on this journey. How do we live in this tension? And if you're with us on week one, if you talk about this tension that we're invited to reach, but this tension that we have in here, we're, we're called to sort of embrace this radical middle where God is wanting to move us out of our comfort. So how are we supposed to live in this? I, I know that the words that are being encouraged to us about how we should live, knowing that such a thing lives, is that there is movement. God is longing to move us. It's not meant to paralyze us, to exhaust us, but God is longing to move us. And so how do we live in this tension? But we step into a radical middle, moving us out of our comfort. So I love the term radical middle because some of us find ourselves living on this spectrum at different places. And the radical middle is something that pushes us. And so maybe some of us always live within that, man, God's breaking in. He's breaking in. It's breaking in. It's breaking in his power. Uh, but yet we can tend to not realize for some that it's not. And to push to the middle would mean that we would walk with people along their long road of suffering where they're not experiencing the inbreaking, immediate, immediate healing that God's having. And so we take the long journey with them. 
encouraging as Kate was sharing about, you know, her, for Mark's father who's passing away and friends coming along with them on that journey to encourage them. The other radical middle of people's comfort is that many of us might live in the not yet and we're just like, oh man, everything just feels so freaking heavy. And so we're, we're paralyzed. And the radical middle is, is going to push us to reach this invitation to move and to join with what God's doing, that he may want to break in. He may want to break into the sex trade and set people free. He's longing to break into poverty. He's longing to break into the needs that are happening in our area. He's longing to break in into Nigeria where the kids are suffering. He's longing to break in for these migrant workers that are coming along. He's longing to break into our own family situations or our own illness or disease or anxiety. He's longing to, he's inviting us to reach and so we want to step into this radical middle and embrace this tension. He wants to move us out of our comfort zones. And, and I believe that the text of Hebrews, in that verse 11, chapter 11, really shows us how he longs for us to move if we go just three verses further into chapter 12. Now originally there were no chapter numbers and stuff like that, and that sometimes just messes us up. But if we keep reading in Hebrews, this is where I believe that God is longing for us to go. He's encouraging us to move. And this is what Hebrews, right at this big list of winners and losers, he says all of them are commended for their faith. I believe this, this pastor, this author, is encouraging the church to live in this tension and to keep moving. And this is what he says to them. And this is what I want to encourage us with the tension today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin so, that so easily t- trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you awaiting him, he endured become weary and give up. And so I think there's like, I have four things I want to bring out in this text before we just finish today. And, and, and the first one is like, how do you live in this tension? And here's this, this first thing that... Um, this author tells us when he listed all this, this, these people and he calls them the crowd of witnesses or the cloud. It, it, other text is actually literally the cloud of witnesses, but the cloud just means a crowd. Right? You have all these witnesses. You have all these people who have endured, who have gone through this before you. And he's saying, okay, you have this. Witnesses is to encourage us. As we means a crowd. Right? You have all move. They're... they're um, this whole analogy that this author is using is this, is this race, right? And there's this crowd who is cheering us on. But these, this crowd is just not purely spectators. This is a crowd who has gone before us, who has walked the long road of endurance. And they're cheering us on. Almost like you could see that when you, when you read their stories, you can almost get a, a breath of encouragement to keep moving. The stories of those who've been before us, this, this huge crowd. And as we look back about this crowd, because this is the beauty of those who continue on this journey, this is what the author of Hebrews said about this crowd. It said this, 
The world was not worthy of them. That's a strong statement. I think that's especially for the ones who look like the losers in the story. Like the James who were there and beheaded. In that, this writer says, the world wasn't worthy of them. They're not losers. They're winners. They've endured to the end. And so when I think about Nate Trask and those, those of us enduring on that path with him, the world was not worthy of him. When I think about Margaret Mizzy, Ed, the world was not worthy of her. When I think about Gary and his endurance in his life, the world was not worthy of him. When I think about Graceland, and even as a little girl, as a daughter, right, the world was not worthy of her. This is what is being screamed to those who've endured over the long journeys, who've, who've walked this road before us that's proclaimed. And you even know of more that you could add to this list that you walked with and who endured through life. And, and you can add it up and maybe some would say, oh my gosh, man, it was hard for them in the end. It was not easy. And the author of Hebrews says this, the world was not worthy of them, of those who stayed, who held on to that faith and endured to the end. And it also says this of them. One, they're, they're not losers, but it mentions this, that they longed for a better resurrection. And, and, and this, is, this is why they're not losers, because they were resurrected from the dead. Right? They, they longed not just for their circumstances to be put to an end. I mean, oh, Jenny, we were with you, right? We know that Foster is entered hospice. We know that um, more than likely, unless God intervenes, he, he is going to die. We, we, we see that reality, right? And, and there could be a miraculous healing of Foster's life. And he is brought back to strength. And we get more days with him. And praise God if that is the case. But, but that is not the best resurrection. Right? There is a better resurrection that is coming for us all as we endure the journey. And for the, the men who were with Foster this last weekend, the men's retreat. Foster, for those of you who know Foster, was an elder of our community. He has a rare bone cancer, it, and it's uh, taking his life, as it seems. And today, they, they entered hospice. And, and Jenny and Foster are, um, are pulling back the curtain and revealing their life for us on this journey that is scary and painful and hard. Um, and it's the journey of the not yet. And they're letting us all in. So if you read Jenny's Facebook Facebook post, she she hides nothing and she lets us in and she wanted to be here this morning to be with us. And this morning, Harvey is with Foster and and Foster said, Harvey, bring bring all the scriptures that talk about what's to come, the life to come. Because he wants to endure. He wants to finish. He wants to die well. That's what he had the men pray for him last week, the men's retreat. It's like, men, I want to die well. Pray for me. Right? And when he breathes his last, we'll gather 
whenever that day is, and we will mourn, and, and we will be clear, we will know the world was not worthy of him. And there's a better resurrection that he is receiving, the resurrection from the dead. This is what the cloud of witnesses, the crowd of witnesses is crying out to us. The world was not worthy of him, and there's a better resurrection. So we hold on to that from that crowd. This is what helps us embrace the tension. That's one. Here's the second part it tells us. Oh, sorry, let me, I just threw you under the, I just threw you in, and so, <sighs> I know. I know that our, our uh, Sandra was longing to be here in order to pray, to pray for you and to encourage you on this journey. So, um, Melinda, Sandy, would you guys just place a hand on Jenny? And so church, maybe reach, right? Maybe reach with them as we love them and they're here. God, let your kingdom come. We love this family. And your servant, Foster, has, um, commit, has, he has handed his spirit into your hands and said, Lord, I'm ready. He's ready. And he wants to finish well. He wants to endure the race that you've set before him with faithfulness. But we do say, we say, oh, Father, we don't know how to pray. We say, let your kingdom come, Lord. And as I pray for Foster, I continue to curse the cancer that's in his body because it is not good. And so, cancer, be gone by the authority and the power of Jesus. And Lord, would you fill both Jenny and Foster with your spirit and your love and your strength on their road. Amen. <laughs> There's a crowd of witnesses. Uh, number two, this text tells us, it says, all right, as we're being cheered on, strip off every weight that slows you down. Nothing to impede you on this journey. Man, there's stuff that slows us down. Now again, Paul's using the running metaphor. Do you know what runners wear these days? Nothing. I mean, their shorts are actually very offensive. <laughs> You've seen them, right? You might even be a runner and you have them, right? I mean, they... they, they Right? I mean, it's like, goodness, do you really need that much resistance in order to run all you're going to run? But they're kind of saying, nothing to impede, right? And so that, that's the analogy. Throw off everything. Throw off everything on this journey that would impede you, that would do so. And this is an analogy, right? This is figurative language that we need to find, really practical language to be able to live into. For what it means on this journey of the tension that we're having between the now and the not yet, how do we throw off what impedes us from actually the movement that God is longing for us, that stops us from moving? How do you do, how do, you do that? That anything that would interfere with the responsible commitment to Jesus Christ, and in the text it says the sin that just so easy distracts us, throw it off. 
It's a distraction from movement, from saying yes to what God's inviting you into. It's distracting from joining God and what he's doing in the world and joining others who are either suffering on this road or just coming alongside with what God's invited them into for you to help them. Our sin distracts us. Things that cause us to look away when we should be looking at Jesus. And so sometimes even our sin, and, and the author's, author's just using really wide language, and, and, and our sin, it, it distracts us. And sometimes it distracts us because we think it disqualifies us from moving with what God is doing in the world, and it doesn't. It doesn't disqualify you. It distracts you from actually joining with confidence what God is doing in the world. So we shy away. So it says throw off everything that's causing a distraction for you. And so when it comes to sin, do you know how you can throw off sin? By confessing it. We think we got to throw off sin by not sinning anymore. And that's why many of us have no movement. <laughs> right? Because we're continuing to struggle. Now you throw off sin by confessing it. And then the burden of it is lifted from your shoulder because Jesus takes it. And you realize Oh, he takes it. That's how I throw it off. I don't have to carry the burden of it. You throw it off by confessing it, by telling somebody. You don't have to make a big deal of it. You don't got to, you just grab somebody you trust and say, hey, can I, can I just throw this off and, and be reminded that Jesus takes the burden of my sin? Let me just confess where my heart is, where my head is, where I'm just so distracted in this life and I'm not moving. I'm just stuck in my rut. And so you confess it. And if you're looking for some areas where you could do that, um, there's three, I like these three areas. One could be in the area of purity. So if you're just saying, oh my gosh, my mind, my eyes, my heart, uh, confess it. Tell it to a trusted friend. He knows that when they confess that they can pray and they can say, oh, be free from this. Jesus takes that burden from you. Be cleansed from it. Be strengthened in will to do something different by God's grace that's at work within you, right? So purity is one of those. Maybe even a distract, maybe uh, simplicity is an area of you're saying, I'm not living simply, simple enough. I'm so distracted by stuff and work and commitments and you could confess this drive towards either getting so much stuff done in your home, buying new things, renovating new things, that you're distracted from the movement that God's inviting you into. You can confess the simplicity thing. Or it could be the idea of harmony or disharmony, where it's happening in your life and saying, I've got so much disharmony in relationships, it's a distraction from saying yes, meaning there's friction in lives where things have been unsaid, unresolved, unforgiven, unstepped to. Confess them. Let God set you free. Let it not be a distraction. That's the other part of here. Three, run with endurance the race that God has set before you. This race is not a sprint. It's a long-distance race, and it requires determination. The goal is not to... Sorry, Siri. The goal is not the completion of the race. I mean, sorry, the goal is not beating the person in front of you. The goal is the completion Right? That's the goal. It's not to beat someone. It's not to pass them on the final lap. Run the race. It's not to overtake others or defeat them. All who persevere in faith to the end are winners. 
are winners. In church, uh, uh, in a marathon, you don't have to run. But you have to move. You can walk, and you're still in the race. Right? You can crawl, and you're still in the race. We must move. My question for you this on this race, are you on the journey? Are you saying yes? There's an invitation to run, to move, to walk, right, to crawl. This is coming from Jesus himself. And some of you are, are so broken by life, you say, it doesn't matter if I participate on this journey. You're so deceived Ah, but it matters because there is a race that God has marked out for you. That only your life, that only your life fits that course. And he's inviting, he's not inviting you to run alone. See, this whole crowd of witnesses, and he's done all this work, but he's inviting you on this endurance race. And many of you are like, I hate the idea of a marathon, but believe it or not, you're in one. You're in it. And you may not be choosing to run, but I pray that God's spirit would breathe upon you and you would hear the invitation and you would feel your knees get strengthened and you would say yes. But the last part is the whole part of it, how we can actually do that. And here's the part where this writer actually, the rest of the stuff is all good ideas and good suggestions, but the only way we can actually do this is this final part. This is what the writer says. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That, that's, that, that's the punch, right? And I'm glad it's right at the end of that text because this is where, this is it. Fix your eyes. You, don't, you can't make it on this endurance race without that. And, and I struggle in my not yet when I fix my eyes, when I even ponder and think about those, that thousands of people marching with no food and, and, and in poverty. And I think about kids in Nigeria, right? Like, like on Friday, that's what I heard on NPR. And I just, I couldn't move, right? I couldn't do anything. But I wasn't fixing my eyes on Jesus in the journey. I was being so consumed with the brokenness in the world. And, and, and again, it doesn't take thousands really to, to wreck me. It can actually just even take one small thing in my life to cause me to fix my eyes on all the hardship instead of Jesus. But here's what we're told to do. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So, brothers and sisters who are running the race, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus and to rely on him for support and help. And the text says, consider him. Consider Jesus. So that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Growing weary and losing heart, they refer to physical and spiritual exhaustion. You can be physically and spiritually exhausted. Anybody say, oh, yes, I, me. Are you there? You can be physically and spiritually exhausted and you can lose heart. And, and so what do you do? He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where your physical and your spiritual get real food, real drink, real support, in real life to sustain you. That's the answer. Fix your eyes. Consider him. Consider Jesus. The concern 
is to inspire the listener to run with endurance so they don't collapse before reaching the goal. And so our encouragement is, don't drop out. And this is where the whole rider is pushing up on these um, marathon images, right? These runners running the race. And they're running with endurance and they're coming upon the finish line. And for those of you who have run, I haven't, right? In one of these kinds of races. But you push so hard and exhaustion, you, you, you know, you could collapse. And there's many people who do. But the encouragement is, oh, don't collapse. Don't drop out. Stay. Endure. Endure in this long journey of this tension, but be invited to move. It says, consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't drop out. Our faith can erode by constant exposure to harsh circumstances. But Christians, we must fix our gaze upon Jesus and draw from his example the courage to keep moving. And here's the two things we're to consider when we're considering Jesus. And this is what the author tells us to do. Jesus was humiliated on the cross. And his humiliation offers us something that we're to consider. We're considered Jesus who was stripped naked and abused and beat up. And in his humiliation, he goes to a cross, a shameful death that was only set aside for criminals and the lowest of life. That would say, you are a menace to society. That's humiliation. You're a loser. And so what did Jesus do in his humiliation? In his shame, he embraced it. And he didn't, he didn't lash back with hatred and him being small. He said, Father, forgive him. Nonviolently responding back to the humiliation. And it says, oh, consider the humiliation of Jesus who goes to the cross. Why? Oh, man, to set us free from sin, shame, death, Consider his humiliation when you're enduring. This is the supreme example of endurance when we experience humiliation. It's endurance of knowing that joy awaits him. Do you get Jesus' journey? He went through humiliation and disgrace. And then when he's raised from the dead, he's elevated to the right hand of the Father. And so we consider his humiliation, but we also consider his vindication. This means he was enthroned, and this provides certainty for those of us who trust upon Jesus that we'll be vindicated, meaning we will be raised from the dead. And not only that, but I, I believe that we will hear the Father even say, and whisper to us who go through this journey saying, the world was not worthy of you. Welcome home. Well done, good and faithful son and daughter. Consider Jesus' humiliation. Consider his vindication as you're on this journey. But keep your eyes on him. I believe that's the only way that we make it in the messiness of this, of the yet and the not yet. Yeah, I went longer. So, may God sustain you on the journey. This week in your small groups, we're talking about that. We're talking about, have you felt like you've been on the losing team? I think what a great question will be is like, even for us, it's like, do you feel like you're even 
in the race, moving? And if not, throw off everything that's entangled you and say yes to being part, because Jesus is inviting you on this journey. The one that he has walked before, he's initiated this journey for us, he's perfected it, and he's inviting us, saying, hey, I've got you, but go on this journey, step in there, take a breath, look at me, look at me, and take the next step. Take the next step. Look at me. May you be able to do so. So Father, may you breathe upon your church. May you strengthen the weak knees and the feeble hands and the feeble arms. May you whisper, God, and would you illuminate in our imagination so that we could look to Jesus and not our present circumstances. God, may we come along beside each other in the pain of the not yet and embrace each other, encouraging each other to look to Jesus. God, may we hear your invitation to go with you where you're going into the now moments and see your kingdom break in now because you want, to, you want us to throw off the sin so we can join with what you're doing in the world and get to see heaven collide today. So Lord, come and awaken us. Holy Spirit, come and move your church on this endurance race, we pray. Amen. May God meet you May he whisper to you. There was a song I wanted the worship band to sing before we go. I'm not going to do that, but I want you to listen to this song today. Okay? The song's called Take Courage. I don't know the author or the writer. It's through Bethel Music. You can find it. It's a super popular song right now. We sang it the first one. It's called Take Courage. Listen to that song and let God breathe upon you. Let them speak to you in it. And maybe then take courage to go. Be blessed, church. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus who says more about how not to lose heart on this long road of the journey and to grow weary as we persevere in life. We're going to talk more about that next week. If you're new to Genesis and you want to know more about us, we've got a meet and greet. And if, we just, if you don't feel like you're known or nobody, you've been here even two years, but really nobody knows your name, um, join us back there. Or if you've been here for one week, Join us right here in the back. Um, we don't ask, we don't do anything weird. We just say hi. We'd love to know who you are and that you're with us or maybe want to be with us on the journey. Be blessed, church. Hug and love somebody on your way. Have, have a, a great week.